Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. As we are there in Judges 3, I want to just uh, kind of give you a little bit of background, okay? As you go to Judges chapter number 3, some of you that this might be one of your first times to hear about the book of Judges and that it's an exciting, wonderful book. But let me tell you just the, uh, the whole overall theme of the book of Judges, uh, I'm preaching a series through right now at our church, and it's just the, the theme series is called Relentless. It's the pursuit, the pursuing grace of God. That's what it's based upon. Because here's the truth. The book of Judges is about this fact. God never gives up on his people. Aren't you thankful for that? Man, God never gives up on us. And the book of Judges is all about this. Now, let me tell you a little bit about why you need to know the the history of the book of Judges. By the time you come into Judges chapter number three, the children of Israel, all right, these are God's people. God had uh, gone to um, Abraham and said, I'm going to use you and raise up a people that are going to glorify me. And the whole purpose of the nation of Israel uh, was to be what we like to call the vehicle to show God's power. God wanted to use Israel to show everybody how magnificent God was. It's kind of like you and I right now. God wants to use your life to show how powerful he is and to show how great he is. Well, that was the case in the nation of Israel. Well, here's what God did. God told the children of Israel, he told this to Abraham, to Moses, and to Joshua. He said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you into a land. We call it, in Bible terms, we call it the promised land, okay? So the Israelites, they had a land that was promised to them, so you call it the promised land. So God said to them, I'm going to give you the promised land, and in the promised land, you, if you follow me, if you walk with me, you're going to find a complete, fulfilling relationship with me. That's God's purpose, Man, God wants that in your life. Did you know that God desires that every single uh, uh, need of your heart would be met in a, and fulfilled in a relationship with him? Uh, that's all throughout the word of God. That's a principle consistent from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Don't let anyone ever tell you that God is interested in do's and don'ts and religion because God is interested in relationship. He wants to fulfill your heart. He wanted to do that for the children of Israel. And so God said to them, when when you come into the land, I'm going to fulfill everything in your life and I'm going to give you a fulfilled relationship. But What they were supposed to do is when they, the children of Israel, God's people, remember they were supposed to glorify the Lord. When they went into the land, God had said to them, but there's a few things that you need to accomplish when you move into the land. Number one, you need to either destroy or drive out the enemies of God. Okay, so the enemies of God, these would be like the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites. I call them all of the ites plus the Philistines. Because you go and you read in in Judges chapter number one, there's just a bunch of ites, Amorites, Hittites, all that stuff, and then the Philistines. So it's the ites and the Philistines. So God said, listen, you need to go into the land and you need to drive them out or destroy them. Okay, that was the first uh, thing they needed to accomplish. The second was when you get in the land, you need to continue to teach the next generation who I am. That's what God said to him. 
You need to help the next generation know who I am. Well, if you go to Judges chapter number one, of course, the book of Joshua, Joshua tells us about the land, the conquest of the land. That's where the children of Israel come into the land and begin to take this promised land that was promised to Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. But when they got into the land, the children of Israel, they gave God what we call partial obedience. Partial obedience. Because here's what they did. If you go and you can do this on your own time, I'd encourage you, don't take my word for it. You read the word of God for you. If you go read Judges chapter number one, it shows us that the children of Israel, when they got into the promised land, they didn't drive out or destroy all of the inhabitants. So all of the enemies of God, the Amorites, Amalekites, Moabites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, all of them, and the Philistines, God did, God, God, they, they didn't drive all of them out. They did a little bit, but not completely. They gave God partial obedience. Well, then if you go to Judges chapter number two, you find that they gave God partial obedience in that second thing they were supposed to accomplish. And Judges chapter 2, you, you can flip over there. We'll just read a verse real quick. Judges chapter 2 and verse number 12 or verse number 10, it says this, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Judges 2.10. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. Okay, so Judges 1 tells us, Partial obedience in driving out or destroying the enemies of God. Judges 2 tells us they forgot to raise the next generation for God. Okay, now here's what we need to know. Because of that, God would allow all of the ites and the Philistines that you read about in Judges 1, God would allow them to continually overtake God's people and they would enslave God's people and the children of Israel they were living listen to this they were living with a uh, um, the word just left me it, it wasn't a punishment a result that's it they were living with a result of their sin you see their sin was partial obedience and the result that they were living with was I'm going to allow the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Philistines to be a pain in your side as long as you're there. Well, here's what would happen is God's people, they would, they would get together and they would seek God. They'd begin to pray. So I, I say it this way, that the children of Israel, their relationship with God, it was what we call a cyclical relationship. Here's what it was. Follow God, don't follow God, Turn to God, come back to God, follow God, don't follow God, turn to God, come back to God. It's just cyclical. You see that? Just going round and around and around. Well, every time they would get away from God, God would say, okay, I'm allowing a natural consequence, a natural result of your sin, the Amalekites, to come in and to overtake you. But when the people would call back to God, and it's an interesting study, and if you want, I can give you the notes afterwards. It's an interesting study that it would say, it says this, that the children of Israel, in Judges, uh, beginning in Judges number three, we'll see it in a second, they began to seek God. Mm -hmm. And the phrasing seek God, it means to come together, repent, and call upon God. Mm -hmm. So what the children of Israel do, they would realize, wow, we are really far away from where God wants us to be. We've got to get back to him. 
Let's gather together. Let's pray and let's go to God. And when they would do that, what God would do is he would raise up a judge. The judge was not necessarily a judge for Israel, but a judge for the enemies of Israel. And so the very first judge, his name is Othniel. And you can read about him in Judges chapter number three, Othniel. And he would fight uh, um, the uh, king of the, um, let me tell you real quick. Verse number Mesopotamia, there it is. The king of Mesopotamia, whose, whose name was Kushan Rishathaim. Say that five times fast, okay? <laughs> Kushan Rishathaim, don't do it right now, some of you are practicing. So Kushan Rishathaim, he was the king of Mesopotamia. They, were, uh, they had enslaved the children of Israel. Children of Israel sought God. God brought the judge Othniel. Othniel was a warrior. I mean, he was, he was who you would expect to be on the battlefield. Okay, then the children of Israel, they would have peace for a number of years. After that, they would turn away from God again. God would raise up another group of people called the Moabites. This is a great story. You need to read it sometimes. Sometime the Moabites, spoken about in Judges chapter number 3, because the king of the Moabites, here's the Bible term for him, he was a very fat man. That's the Bible term. Some people are like, oh, the Bible's so boring. That's because you're not reading it. Listen. I love, I love the, the, the phrasing. This was a very fat man, King Eglon. That was his name. The Bible called him very fat man, King Eglon. Well, they were the Moabites. They oppressed God's people. And so God raised up another judge. His name was Ehud. He was a left-handed, left-handed man. And uh, he, he snuck a dagger in that was attached to his right thigh. It was 18 inches long. And, and you read the story. The Bible says that Ehud goes to deliver the people of God. He goes before very fat man, King Eglon. And he says, hey, I have a message for you. Eglon dismisses all of the uh, uh, servants. And then, you know, kind of, he didn't stand up. He kind of leans up in his chair. And Ehud's like, it's a message from God. He pulls out the dagger and thrusts it in. It's kind of gross, but the Bible says that his stomach literally swallowed the dagger up, the handle and all, <laughs> and he just fell over dead. I won't tell you everything else it says. You go read it. It's a great story. But here's what the Bible tells us, that God, because of Ehud, delivered the children of Israel. Well, after Ehud is one of my most favorite judges. It's actually a name that most people don't even recognize. And it's where we're going to be today. So I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and let's stand together just to read one verse. Judges chapter number three. Would you stand with me just to give you a second to stretch? <clears throat> Judges chapter number three. And uh, I want to read verse number 31. Judges chapter three and verse number 31. Here's what it says. And after him, the him there is Ehud, all right? And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. I'll read it one more time. After him, Ehud was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Listen, I love the story of Shamgar, and I think he's an overlooked character in Scripture. But today, I believe that this single verse is really just packed with some great truths that I believe will help us this week if we'll apply them. 
And so let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us, okay? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, uh, give, give God permission to speak to you. You can pray something like this, God, I, I give you permission to speak to me today. And then would you also make a commitment? God, whatever you speak to me about, I'm listening. I want to hear from you today. Lord, again, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for how it applies to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us this morning to hear from you. I pray, God, that it would not be my words, but it would be yours. And, Father, we just want to, um, want to give this time to you. I want to pray that there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity. I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as Savior. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start this morning, I just want to ask you if you've ever known someone uh, who's really good at bad excuses. You ever know somebody like that? Some of you uh, maybe work with somebody that they call in sick all of the time. Hopefully you're not that person, but uh, I know there were the, the old famous excuses, you know, uh, when you were in school and the teacher says, why don't you turn the homework in? Well, my dog ate the homework, you know, and do you guys use that excuse and you don't? Okay, maybe that's just an American thing. Um, but I looked up, I looked up recently some uh, well-known or, or, excuse me, most ridiculous, most used excuses for some things, and I'll give you some of these today. Some excuses uh, for getting out of going on a date with somebody. All right, some excuses for going out, for not going on a date with someone. Someone said this, my dog has been suffering from depression, and I think we really need to spend some time together so I can't come on the date. Uh, someone else said, I've got a friend who's going to be on the show who wants to be a millionaire, and I'm their phone a friend. <laughs> and you know how those shows can be. The phone could ring at any time, so I can't come. It's a pretty bad excuse. Uh, someone, uh, excuse for not going to work, um, a bear is in my front yard, and I'm afraid to come outside. Now, that could be real for, like, hope or something like that. But uh, another lame excuse, I can't come in today because I ate a toothpick in my food at the restaurant during my lunch break. I'm going to ER. I don't know if that was really used, but it's pretty lame. Uh, I found these for not doing your homework, and maybe some of you students can use this. I'd figured I would do my homework tomorrow because tomorrow I know I'll be wiser than today. <laughs> uh, someone else said this. Uh, Yesterday I didn't have time to complete all of my homework because I was at a rally all day. The rally was for the, for the support of teachers' pay increases. I had to be there. I was fighting for you. And uh, you know what? People can give some pretty lame excuses, can't they? I want to, I want to tell you this this morning as we kind of jump into our time in the Word of God today, that just as we look at those, and they're all silly excuses, you know what? Sometimes as Christians, we give God silly excuses. We give God excuses, and oftentimes our excuses are as to why God can't work in our life. Or maybe why God can't do in our life what he's done in someone else's life. Or maybe why God can't do in our church what maybe he's done in other churches. We give God a lot of lame excuses sometimes. And this morning, I want to present to you kind of a message, and the title of today's message is this, No More Excuses. Let's make a decision today that we're not going to give God any more excuses. As we start this morning and we come to Judges chapter number 3, I want you to realize and recognize with me what I've called a universal problem. As you come to Judges chapter number 3, there's a, there's a universal problem. Of course, as we start in this verse, we, <coughs> we find again that uh, Shamgar is the judge that follows after Ehud. And you can go and you can find the result 
of Ehud being the judge in Judges chapter 3, verse number 30. Look back one verse, if you would. Judges 3.30, here's what it says. So Moab, or the Moabites, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. That phrase, fourscore years, it means 80, 80 years, all right? A score would be 20 and four, two times, or excuse me, four times 20 would be 80. So you have four score years. They have peace, they have rest for 80 years. Now, when you and I read this, you know, based upon our cultures, uh, uh, we would say, well, that means they had rest. It was just a time of no war. But really that word rest, it's talking about a spiritual and physical rest. So really they were finding rest in God. They were following after him. They were uh, finding peace from him. But then something happened. Well, what happened? Well, from our passage, we would know that they began to be oppressed again. Well, who were the oppressors? Verse 31 tells us, the Philistines. So you have all the ites and the Philistines. So here's the Philistines. They come on the scene, and they're now an enemy that the children of Israel would become all too familiar with. This is the very first time you'll find the Philistines mentioned, but many of you, if you've been in church for any, any length of time or under Pastor Paul's preaching, you've probably heard about David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. You've probably heard about the children of Israel in, in the book of Samuel fighting the Philistines. If you haven't, you'll hear about them. They become a pest to the people of God. Well, here's what you look at when you go to Judges chapter number three, that you find the children, children of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, they are fighting or now being oppressed by the Philistines. Well, the Bible tells us that the Philistine oppression was so bad during the time of Shamgar that people stopped traveling on the main highways. They stopped using the main roads. You say, Pastor Dennis, uh, I, don't, I don't see that here. Um, why don't you take your Bible and turn over two chapters? Judges chapter number five. Judges chapter number five, verse six and seven, it says this. This is a song that the next judge, whose name was Deborah, wrote. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. Here's why you, you say, man, Dennis, what does that mean? It means the people, when they traveled, they stopped using main routes and they started using the byways, the back roads, and people left the villages and went to the main cities because the cities were fortified. So here's the, here's the idea. The Philistines were so uh, aggressive and oppressive on the people of Israel that they were literally scared to travel. They were scared to do anything. They were scared to even live in their own little villages. And so they began to retreat to the fortified cities. And you can go and you can figure out the Philistines, they kind of were on the eastern side. If you see on the screen, they were kind of on the, the, the west, excuse me, the western side of the children of Israel right there by the Mesopotamian Sea. And, and so they're there. And the, the children of Israel, they're against these Philistines. And these Philistines now are kind of taking over the land. Well, if you think about this, the people of Israel, they're facing this ongoing attack and they need deliverance. You know what? In, in their mind, they would probably think, you know what? We just, we need deliverance from the Philistines. That's what we need. Our need is the Philistines to be gone. But at the root of this, and if you go and read the book of Judges, 
the root of their problem was never that they just needed the enemy to be gone. Here's the root of their problem. They needed God to show up. You see, the children of Israel, the whole reason they ever became under captivity of any of the ites or the Philistines is because they needed God to show up. They needed God to do something. I want you to think about this. You, you think about living in these type of circumstances, what that would do to the children of Israel. I mean, I look at it, I would see that they were probably living in fear. I would see they were living in unsafe, and uh, they were feeling unsafe to travel. They were probably frustrated. They were probably uh, felt like their very lives were at stake, and their property and their families were at stake. I mean, you really think about this. They, the the, the uh, oppression of the Philistines, it probably affected their land and their crops and their trade and their growth, and every part of their life as a nation was affected because of the Philistines. But truth be told, the problem wasn't the Philistines. The problem with the children of Israel in the book of Judges is they needed God. They would get away from God. They had this universal need of God showing up. I want to tell you why I call this, this first thought, the universal problem. It's because this problem that they had is the same problem you and I have in our life. We need God to show up. You know what you need tomorrow when you get up for work? You need God to be working in your life. You know what you need this week as you go in and out of your, you know, sometimes our mundane activities and raising, you know, child raising or retirement life or or the the full-time job or full-time student status or whatever the case might be. You know what we need? We need God to show up. We need God to be evident in our life. We need God to work in our life. We need God uh, to come and be very real in our life. It's a universal problem. You see, we often think, well, the problem, uh, maybe it's politics. That's not the problem. You know what the problem for the nation of Canada is? You need God. That's right. You know the problem for the United States of America is? We need God. Oh, well, if we just had a different prime minister, well, if, you know, America, if we just had a different president, whatever. The, no, we need God. You think about this. I mean, if you were to go and kind of analyze your life, sometimes we think, well, I just need more finances. I just need more. If I just had a little bit more money, I could be doing well. And no, you need God. Well, if I could just have a different spouse. That's what some people think. Well, you know what? We're going to end it. This is over. If I could just have a new spouse. No, you need God in your marriage. Well, if my kids were like their kids, no, you need God as a parent. Well, you know what? I just If I could just get out from under this stress. No, you need God. It's a universal problem at the root of all of our problems. We need God. We need his power. We need him to work. This need is universal. I was reading in a, one author I appreciate reading after. His name is Pat Williams. If you pay attention, which I know you do now, to the NBA, yes. uh, you're... Who won this year? I forget what their name is. Oh, the Raptors. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. Oh, he's got a shirt right there. <laughs> Listen, if you pay attention to this, uh, the, uh, the owner, he actually co-founded the Orlando Magic years and years ago. His name's Pat Williams, a very outspoken Christian. And uh, here's what he said about this idea of the problem. He said, even the most hopeful of people can be trampled down under the weight of worry and fear caused by the stress of life's multiplied problems. That's one of the many reasons why we need God. The communists used to say that only weak people need God. 
And in today's culture, that is what the pseudo-intellectual elitists also say. But the truth is, everybody is weak. Therefore, everyone needs God. I like that quote. I like that. Why? Because everybody says, oh, well, maybe, you know, God, religion, oh, relation, oh, you're, you're Jesus, that's just a crutch. Yeah. No, he's like a wheelchair. Yeah. Because I don't want to lean on my strength at all. That's right. I need him. I need his power. That's right. Amen. The yeah. universal problem in your life and my life is we need God. Right. Children of Israel, they had a universal problem. They thought it was the Philistines, but really it was their need of God. I see, first of all, today, that universal problem. Secondly, I want you to see an unlikely person. I want you to see an unlikely person. Here you have the children of Israel. They're under the oppression of the Philistines and in deep need of God to show up and do something. And we find that God does show up and do something. And he does it through an unlikely person, a man by the name of Shamgar. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever met someone named Shamgar? No, you probably haven't. You know what? Have you ever heard outside of church this morning or maybe another service, have you ever heard the name Shamgar? No, you probably haven't. You haven't been reading a newspaper and read about some famous guy named Shamgar. It's not in any many encyclopedias or uh, any, uh, you don't go online and do like a YouTube search for Shamgar and find it. It's not going to be there. It's, a, it's an unlikely person. You know what? I see this unlikely person. God used him to do some very unlikely things, some really miraculous things. And if you go and you begin studying out Shamgar's life, we don't know much about Shamgar except for, except for what we read here in Judges 3 and Judges 5. Those are the only two places in all of Scripture that Shamgar is mentioned. But if you go and you begin to do some context study, study of the context and figure things out and and read about the time and the era and different religions and things like that, you can find out a lot about Shamgar. And while we don't know much about him except for what he did and what he used, the Bible does tell us his father's name. That actually helps us a little bit. It says that Shamgar was the son of Anath, the son of Anath. Now, here's what we need to know before we understand Anath. Remember the children of Israel, Judges 1, I said that they had moved into the land and they hadn't destroyed or drove out all their enemies. Remember that right at the beginning, just about 15 minutes ago? So one of the enemies they didn't drive out was the Canaanites. The Canaanites actually lived among them, among five of the 12 tribes. The children of Israel had 12 tribes, 12 different family groups, if you will. And the the Canaanites lived among five of those tribes. Well, the Canaanites, follow me, they worshipped a false goddess by the name of Anath, A-N-A-T-H, or Anath. Anath, or Anath, would be uh, um, equivalent to the goddess of Diana of the church at Ephesus in Ephesians, or when you go and you read uh, in the book of Acts, you read about the Ephesians and Epaphrodites, or Diana. Anath is really the goddess kind of before the the pre-goddess before the worship of Diana and Epaphrodites. She is the goddess of love and war. That's what they worshiped, love and war, the Canaanites. So here's what many Bible scholars believe, and after research, I kind of lean this way as well, that when it says Shamgar, the son of Anath, that Shamgar, he was an Israelite man. He was supposed to be a, a man of God. He was, uh, he was, his, family, his family was supposed to be a man of God. 
But his grandfather, Anath's parents, they had probably begun to come into the worship of the Canaanites. Mm. The Canaanites had probably influenced them quite a bit. And so when they had a son, they're like, well, what should we name him? Well, let's name him after the goddess, Mm. the goddess Anath. Well, then Anath grows up, and somewhere along the line, he has a son, names him Shamgar. But Shamgar was one that he didn't follow the false gods of the Canaanites. He was one who followed after God. Mm-hmm. Now, someone would say, well, Pastor Dennis, why, why do you bring all that out? Because Shamgar was an unlikely person to be used by God. Right. Let me tell you this. He didn't grow up in church. Mm-hmm. He didn't grow up with a quote-unquote Christian background. Mm-hmm. He didn't grow up knowing all the verses. He stood in church, you know, if if it was today, and they didn't have church like we do now, but if he stood in the congregation of the Israelites and they were singing psalms or singing something, Shamgar was like, I've never heard this song. I don't know what you're saying. that, That was Shamgar. He was an unlikely person. And yet, we're going to see in just a second, God worked miracles through him. Let me show you why else he was an unlikely person. If you go and you read this, the Bible tells us that he he had simply what you would call an ox goad. An ox goad. Now, these are kind of like the ox goads that they would have. An ox goad is just something that you would use to drive your your oxen, to be uh, be behind them in a a sled of some sort, maybe a plow and pulling, and you're going to poke or prod the oxen. Let me tell you what the ox goad is. A pointy stick with a kind of like paddle at the end. So if you were to look at this picture, you'd see the point on the one end and the further end, it would be, it would be kind of just a little stubbier than the rest. And so the one end was to point, the stubby end, the paddle was to, you know, smack the cows, uh, their, their hooves to get dirt off. It was to clean the plow, different things like that. Okay, so based upon him having an ox goad, what do you think his job would have been? farmer. That's probably all he was. He was was a lowly farmer. Now, farming in our day, uh, man, we rely on farmers. Some people are like, well, I don't know why they pick vegetables. Just go to the store and get them. (laughs) We'll have a good talk later. You know what? Farming is, is, agriculture is big. It's very big in Moses Lake. Uh, We have a lot of, lot of farmers around. Okay, so, but farming back then, it was kind of low. It was like the low end of employment if you were a farmer. It's kind of like looked upon as like, oh, 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 you're just a farmer. Oh, I'm sorry. He's a farmer. Okay, well, since he was a farmer, we, all, we could also assume that he's a peasant. So he doesn't have much. So you look and you find Shamgar. What is Shamgar? Well, he has a bad heritage, he's a farmer. He's a peasant, and his only weapon is a pointy stick. That's all it is. It's like pointy stick. I mean, that's, that's all he is. And yet, when you use this, when you, excuse me, when you see this, God used Shamgar in a mighty way. He was an unlikely person because of his heritage, because of his job, because of his status, because of his belongings, because of the instrument he had, unlikely. 
Let me just tell you real quick that you too may at times feel like an unlikely person. You know, sometimes you may feel like, well, you know, God, God really can't work in me. And the reason is because I, you know, I didn't grow up in this. I, you know, I'm just going to kind of come to church. I mean, man, I watched those singers get up here. I couldn't do that. I can't sing. You know, I, man, he gave that reading this morning. I, I, could, I could never do that. I'm so fearful of people. You know, I, I could never work in a kid's class. You know, I could never serve. I could never bring snacks. I could never. You know what we do? We give God a lot of excuses because we feel like an unlikely person. Can I tell you, that's probably what Shamgar felt like. Unlikely person, bad heritage. Well, my status. You know, I just don't have very much. Shamgar was poor too. Well, I just, you know, I can't. Listen, can I just skip the the little thoughts and just tell you, we need to quit making excuses because everyone is an unlikely person. We're an unlikely people that have a universal problem. Our need is God. And let me give you a simple thought. I love the quote. And if you're writing things down, write this one down. I love it today. God's grace knows no prior qualifications. I love that. God doesn't say, oh, you, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. I'm sorry, can't, can't do that. God doesn't say, oh, you're, just, you're a farmer. I'm sorry, I can't use farmers. God's grace, God's ability to work in your life, it knows no prior qualifications. Now, what a great thought. What a great verse. I want you to see with me this morning that you may feel unqualified, but God is not looking for qualified people. He's looking for surrendered people. We're going to see that in just a minute. Shamgar's background, it was pagan, but God used him. His trade was farming, yet God used him. His money was meek, and yet God used him. His instrument was an ox goad, and yet God worked miracles. I see this morning an, uh, a universal problem, an unlikely person, but let's see thirdly today what I'm calling an unimaginable power. An unimaginable power. So here's this farming peasant with an ox goad. This farmer with a pointy stick. If you go and you read, he didn't have a dagger like Ehud. He didn't have the war tools of Othniel. He had a pointy stick with a paddle on the end. That's all he had. But one thing about Shamgar is he doesn't just wait back for others to do something. Shamgar stepped up and he gave God what he had. And here's the unimaginable power. One man with a pointy stick and he kills 600 Philistines. Now, listen. I have grown up in church. I've grown up hearing stories. And I'll tell you, sometimes when you hear a story like this, you know, let's be honest, it's kind of like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, you know, that was like the Old Testament, right? You know, those, those things happened. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, just kind of like everyday business. Can I tell you, no. Yeah. This, listen, if you rolled out in the morning and you opened up the newspaper or you turned on your news app and you read front lines, you wake up, would you expect to read this? Lowly farming peasant defends his land from the onslaught of 600 Philistines with a pointy stick. No. 
You're not opening up the front page and reading that. You're not ever expecting that. And yet, listen, this was not a normal day on the battlefield. And can I just tell you this morning that it was not because of Shamgar and his pointy stick that the children of Israel received deliverance. It was because God showed up. That's what it was. The unimaginable power is the fact that God was responsible for this. God was behind Shamgar and his, his pointy stick. God was behind Shamgar and the ox goad. And let me just tell you something. When you look at this, one great thought, the very last phrase of Judges 3.31, it says the exact same thing that it says about Ehud, Othniel, later in Judges, a man by the name of Gideon, the strong man, the most famous judge, Samson. You've heard, maybe heard the story of Samson. If you haven't, go read it. Judges chapter uh, 13 through 17, I think, of, of this great strong man that just defeated the Philistines time and time and time again. You know what it says about all of them? The same thing it says about Shamgar. Yeah, he delivered Israel. Yeah. You know what that tells me? For God's power to work with you and to work through you, you don't need to be an Ehud. You don't need to be an Othniel. You don't need to be a Gideon. You don't need to be some strong Samson. No, you just need to be someone who's willing to say, God, I'll give you what I have. Amen. Why'd God use Shamgar? Because he just simply said, God, I'm willing. God, I'm willing. Can I just help us understand something this morning? When you look at Judges 3.31, it says the exact same thing about Shamgar that it says about all of the other judges. Right. <clears throat> Man, what an unimaginable power. God showing up to do something great. As you come this morning to Judges 3, I see these thoughts. A universal problem. Man, the people needed God. An unlikely person, Shamgar, the lowly peasant with a pointy stick. And yet we find described an unimaginable power. God shows up. He does something. So I want to close this morning by giving you my final thought today, which is an undisputed principle. An undisputed principle. Something from the scripture that you and I cannot argue with. And it's simply this. Shamgar wasn't some great person. He didn't have a lot. But what he did have, Shamgar willingly surrendered to God and gave God what he had, and God showed up. He didn't have a lot. And yet God used the life of Shamgar to show his power for generations. Listen, I said it a moment ago, we think sometimes we need political change or that we need a pay raise, that our workplace needs to change, that we need uh, maybe more handouts or people think, well, if I could just get more medication or if there were some more groups or maybe it's, well, if I could just have uh, some more hobbies or some more free time, then if I could get rid of the stress. If I could, and we begin to have all of these things that we think are our problem. No, listen, we need Jesus. You need the power of God in your life. You need it. You need God's power. Listen, uh, this world and your neighbors and your friends and your family and your, your kids and your spouse and, and your enemies. And, and listen, your acquaintances, the strangers that you meet, what they need to see is they need to see God. They need to see God changing your life. They need to see you having a faith that is real. They need to see a love that is genuine. They need to see a surrender that is complete. 
But the fact of the matter is they will never see this if you're not a Shamgar. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Dennis? Shamgar simply took a step of faith to give God what he had, and God showed up and showed himself strong in Shamgar's life. Let me give you this thought. God isn't looking for worthy and successful people to demonstrate his power through. He is looking for willing and surrendered people. Deliverance for the children of Israel was brought through Shamgar. Why? Because Shamgar was willing. So can I just tell you, whoever you are, wherever you are, God has a place for you. And your limitations are never a problem for God. I don't know a lot of Bible. I don't know that way of talking. I don't have her personality. I can't play or sing or preach or give or go. Can I just say God, he accepts the limitations that you have. He accepts your weakness, your emptiness, your inability. And he meets it with his omnipotence. What is that? He meets it with his almighty power. That's right. Moses, what is that in your hand? It's a rod. <laughs> Moses, I want you to serve me. Well, God, all I have is this staff. I'm nothing much. Moses, throw that down on the ground. Okay, he throws it down. It becomes a serpent. Moses, pick it up. He picks it up. Moses, you give me what you have in your hand, and I'll use you. Exodus 4.20, it's not called a rod. Here's what it's called, the rod of God. Moses, it was a rod. The widow with Elijah, you can go read some stories. It was just some oil and meat, and God used it. In In the New Testament, the little boy with the loaves and the fish, something small. And yet God took it and fed 12,000 people. I just want to tell you this morning that you and I, what we need is we need his power. We need his hand. So what do I do? Be a Shamgar. Mm -hmm. How? Give God what you are and what you have and watch God show up. I'm going to tell you just a couple thoughts this morning and I'm done. The first is this. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, will you make the decision today that this week I'm not making excuses for why I can't serve God in some way. This week, I'm going to give God what I have. I'm going to give him my time this week. This week, I'm going to give God some time in the morning, spend time with him. But then the second thing is maybe you're here today and you don't even know that you have God in your life. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you, your greatest need is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your savior. Mm -hmm. You need God in your life because you need a relationship with God and God loves you. And God gave his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He died. He was buried and he rose again three days later. And he did that to show you that he loves you. To show you that he wants you to spend eternity with him. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never put your faith in God. Can I tell you today, you don't need to be a shamgar and say, all right, I want to do something for God. You need God to show up in your life just by accepting his gift of salvation. Mm -hmm. And if you're here and you don't know that you're going to heaven, in just a moment, we're going to have what's called an invitation. We invite you to come and Pastor Paul pair you up with somebody to take the Bible 
and they'll show you from God's word how you can know you're going to heaven. If you do know Christ as your Savior, will you today say, God, I may not be worthy, but God, I'm willing. God, I may not be super important, but God, I'm going to be surrendered. I want to be a sham guard this week, giving God what I have and watching Him. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His